Happy Wednesday, everybody, and welcome back to the Get Your Goat podcast. A lot to get into today. The Colts and Ravens Monday night game. What a classic game thriller comeback. A lot of thoughts on that. Then looking ahead to tomorrow, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers travel to Philadelphia to play the Eagles. Tom Brady facing a team he lost to. In a Super Bowl, however, he's with a different team, and this Eagles team is very different than that one a few years ago. Then I'm going to give you my top five teams in the NFL at the moment through five weeks of the season. Then get into some NBA. Ben Simmons reporting to camp after saying he would held up, be held out. Kyrie Irving looking like he won't be able to play. Then baseball, the ALCS is set. Red Sox, Astros, Braves clinched last night. Only team left is, or series left, is the Dodgers, Giants, Game 5 tomorrow. I will also get into that and then finally wrap up with some more NHL talk. And a Pittsburgh Penguins team, that surprised me that I had ridden off even over my team and I root for them. What a coaching job by Mike Sullivan. I'll finish up with that. So starting with the Indianapolis Colts and the Baltimore Ravens Monday night football game. What a game that was. What a game. Uh, To me, this was brilliant quarterback play. On both sides. This is the best I've seen Carson Wentz look in a long time. And this was the best passing game from Lamar Jackson I have ever seen in my life. And this is a game the Colts should have won. It is a game the Colts should have won. It's it's inexcusable. That they didn't win this game. And to me, you can put the loss of this game squarely on the shoulders of Rodrigo Blankenship. Why do I say that? He missed two field goals and an extra point. Seven points right there. If he does his job, guess what? They would have won this game. This game never would have even have gone to overtime because the Ravens would have needed another touchdown in the fourth quarter. And I don't think they would have gotten that. They would have been too far behind. Brilliant play by the Colts overall. This is, you know, a defense who I've said, who I've pegged is should be great. Uh, injuries have decimated some of that, but they still have playmakers, still have Darius Leonard. He was a force to be reckoned with on Monday night, and this team looked good. Start off, Jonathan Taylor, little pass from Carson Wentz, takes it to the house early. Ravens can't answer. Then there's no points until the very end of the second quarter, and the Colts have a 10-3 lead going in at halftime, you know, and they could have been up more if they converted on their chances in the red zone. Then to open up the third quarter, beautiful pass from Carson Wentz to Michael Pittman, and Rodrigo misses 
the point after. That's one dunce right there on him. Then they score again, four-yard touchdown run. They go for a two-point because Rodrigo's already missed a field goal and has now missed an extra point. No confidence in him. Uh, they fail. So technically, that's nine points left on the board if you would have gone for it. That would have been eight. So a lot of points left on the board hanging for the Colts. But anyways, they're up 22-3. to three. Ravens answer. Then they miss their own two points, so I'll say that cancels out. Then the Colts drive again. Rodrigo converts on this field goal. They're up 25 to 9. 25 to 9. You're feeling pretty good. You have a 16 uh, point lead. That means they're going to get two touchdowns, two two point conversions. And the Ravens do just that brilliant uh, quarterbacking play by Lamar. The precision to throw the ball downfield. His most trusted target is Mark Andrews. That was his target down the stretch. That was, you know, their guy to do it. And even with all that, the Colts had a chance to win the game. They got the touchdown with uh, 37, 39 seconds left, my bad. And the Colts drove down the field, still had two timeouts, and four seconds left, 47-yard field goal, no good, hooked it to the left, game over time, and by then I say, the Ravens are winning this game, it's over, it's a wrap, they've had their chance, the Ravens are surging, two straight touchdown plays, they've just driven down the field, uh... With the two-point conversion, they are doing it in overtime at home, and they did it. I was right. Uh, Rodrigo, not good at all. Missing field goals, extra points. Not a great night for Rodrigo at all. Carson Wentz, to me, great. 400 yards passing, uh, two touchdowns. Jonathan Taylor was efficient running the football, catching out of a backfield. Ravens did not end up breaking the Steelers' record, which I love. I'm happy about. I thought they were going to break it, but they didn't. They finished, you know, the 43 straight games, which was a tie with Pittsburgh. So they don't have sole possession of a record, but no longer does Pittsburgh. It's a tie. That record would have to restart. I think they only had 86 rushing yards. Uh, they contained Lamar Jackson. Their goal was to stop the run, and they did a tremendous job of that. However, in doing that, Lamar Jackson dared Lamar Jackson to throw. This was his by far best game throwing. Quarterback rating of 71, passer rating of 140. Mark Andrews, Marquise Brown, heavily targeted. Andrews, 13 targets, 11 receptions, 147 yards. Marquise Brown, 10 targets, 9 receptions, 125 yards, 2 touchdowns. Those are the players he trusts. In this game, that's what he does. I won't give Lamar a perfect A grade because he did have a costly fumble. He's been a little careless with the ball running this year. That is something he has to fix. But to me, this was a chess match. This was a drive for drive, match for match. Uh, You know, same amount of drives. Both had over 500 total yards. 
400 passing yards both sides. A little more rushing yards uh, for the Colts. But a brilliant Monday night football game went down to the wire. The Ravens were just the better team. As simple as that, the Ravens were the better team. Lamar Jackson was the better quarterback. Can't believe I'm saying that. But this is the formula for Baltimore to win a Super Bowl. The past two years, not the formula to win games is their crazy rushing attack. It ain't just going to win you football games in the NFL anymore. We see the Buccaneers, they're having a passing attack. The Chiefs, they're having a passing attack. And then before, uh, more balanced with the Raiders. I mean, more balanced with the rush and the pass with the Patriots for that dynasty. But majority of that was on the shoulders of Tom Brady. So you need to have a good passing attack uh, to win the Super Bowl, I believe, nowadays. So if they are built like this, if the Ravens are doing this, if Lamar Jackson is looking like this, then yes, this is the team that gives them the best shot to win a Super Bowl. This quarterback, this Lamar Jackson, that's what I want to see on a consistent basis. This is the first time I will say, Lamar Jackson, I will give you all the credit for this win. That was a brilliant, masterful performance. This was better than any of those MVP games from a couple of years ago. That's how good it was. That was brilliant. Have my hats off to Lamar Jackson. Didn't think that he had it in him, but he did. Great win by Lamar and this Colts team, or and by my bad, this Ravens team. Now moving on to tomorrow's Thursday night football game between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Philadelphia Eagles. I expect the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to win. I would like them to wipe the floor with them, uh, considering what they did to Miami. However, I am a little cautious about this game. Why do I say that? Last year, Thursday night football, Tom Brady, the Bucks played an away game on Thursday night against the Chicago Bears. That was Tom Brady's infamous not knowing what down it is, his holding up the four fingers, thinking it was going to be fourth down when it was a turnover, and they lose the game uh, to the Chicago Bears in Chicago. To me, this game, I don't want it to be that way, but I could see an eerily uh, same team. To me, you know, an Eagles team that I don't know what you're going to get, a dominating Falcons performance, a blowout by the Cowboys, a surprise win against the Panthers. Uh, last week where Jalen Hurts looked good on the ground. Uh, you just don't know this game's in Philly too, which helps the cause. I believe it will be enough to stay competitive at least for the first half because last week Miami was still in the game going into the fourth quarter. It was 24-17 uh, before the Bucks just blew the brakes off of them in the fourth quarter. So I believe this game will remain close. No Levante David. Big loss for this defense. To me, the leader of this defense, their middle linebacker. Of course, they have Devin White, who will be in there, who's 
just as brilliant as him. But Levante David, to me, is more of the veteran, the leader guy in that defense. However, Philadelphia does not have the secondary to contain the weapons that Tom Brady has, the Antonio Brown, the Mike Evans, the Chris Godwin. I don't believe Gronk will be back on this short week, but Tom Brady will win this game. Uh, I don't believe a thumb injury will plague him too much. He looked fine in the last game. Of course, you would like a little more rest, but I think he'll play great. And then after that, he'll have, you know, 10 days of rest until, you know, their next game. The rematch against the Bears, this time in Tampa Bay. But I think Tom Brady will do great to me. He's playing great this season. Almost 1,800 yards, 15 touchdowns, two interceptions. He's playing on an MVP caliber level. To me, he's the MVP of the league right now. Uh, To me, there's nobody doing it better. He's second. In touchdowns at 15, his QBR is fifth at 65. He's first in passing yards, you know, at almost at 1,800. Uh, two interceptions, very low considering last year he threw 13. This is vintage Tom Brady, 44 years old. Doesn't look 44. He looks great out there. Pocket presence, the leadership, the uh Willingness to just throw the ball downfield, the accuracy to downfield, uh, players making plays. This Bucks team is a Bucks team I expected. You know, I saw that offense, you know, the first few weeks stuttered against the Rams uh, and the Patriots, but it looks back on track now against the Dolphins. And they have an easy schedule. Not going to, you know, sit here and give in to this tough schedule that they have. It's, to me, very, very, very favorable. To me, the only only losable game that's remaining on their schedule is the Buffalo Bills, but that is in Tampa Bay, and we'll see what both teams look like there since that's a December game, end of the season. But very, very great Tampa Bay team, and I want to see what Jalen Hurts does. This is a team you cannot run on. Best rushing defense in the game. And part of that's due to their decimated secondary. If Jalen Hurts and the Eagles are on a women's team, they're going to have to attack downfield. Even the linebackers now with Levante David. It's going to be winning the game due to passing the ball. You're going to have to rely on Jalen Hurts' arm. He's going to have to throw at least uh, 300 yards, I believe, to win this game. I just don't see that happening uh, against the Bucks at home to me. They're poised. I believe they'll blitz uh, Jalen uh, more than they do against other teams and try to get him uncomfortable in the pocket, uh, jumping around, trying to get him to use his legs and scramble more. But that's not the formula to beat the Bucks. You're going to have to high fly with this offense. You're going to have to trade touchdown for touchdown, not field goal for field goal. Jalen Hurts, to me, to prove himself, I at least want to see him play competitive in this game and put some points on a uh, injury-plagued secondary. That's what I want to see. But with all that being said, 
I have the Bucks winning this game tomorrow. Just too good. Just too talented. Now moving on. The Seahawks cut cornerback Trey Flowers. And my God, it's about time. I've been waiting for this. Trey Flowers saying that, oh, the reason he plays poorly is due to the scheme and coverage. You're just not good. You're, it's, you're not. You weren't good last year or the year before or starting off this year. You have been terrible. The Seahawks could break a record for most yards allowed in a five-game stretch, I believe, you know, or I think it's if they allow more than 450 yards, it'll be the first team to do so in five games in a row. This defense is bad. They can't stop the run, let teams run all over them, and my God, they can't stop the pass either. It's that bad. I'd say a lot of that, too, is targeting uh, Trey Flowers, the penalties downfield, the pass interference. He's not good. He gets turned around a lot. He can't turn around. Uh, he's stiff out there. He's not athletic. I don't like Trey Flowers. I think get him out of there. If he wants to talk bad about the scheme, I think the scheme's bad too. I think Pete Carroll needs to go. Uh, how bad him and Kim, Ken Norton have been uh, defensively last year and this year. Trey Flowers has been bad. Does he deserve all the blame? No. But you got to cut somebody now, and Trey Flowers has got to go. He does not look good one bit. Not happy with any of his performances in recent history. Another uh, news, Chandler Jones tested positive for COVID-19 yesterday. Uh, he is vaccinated. We'll see if he returns uh, this Sunday. Has to uh, have two negative COVID tests within 24 hours, you know, the back-to-back days for it to, uh, for him to play this Sunday. And to me, I think he needs to play if they're going to have a chance to beat the Browns. Browns are a very, very good team. And we see with Ed Rushers, we see how dominant J.J. Watt was last week. The first week it was Chandler Jones that was dominant. Uh, they feed off each other. You know, you have to scheme for all guys on the defensive line. If one of them out is out, it's much easier to scheme. So I believe it's needed for a Cleveland Browns team who has one of the best, the best offensive line. You know, it's a little dinged up. It is still really good. Baker Mayfield back there is athletic. Uh, he can move around in a pocket. Uh, they'll need Chandler Jones to help win this game. Other news as well. Daniel Jones says he is on track, could return, versus the Los Angeles Rams after suffering a helmet-to-helmet hit, which he kind of initiated himself. I don't care who's starting this week. I don't care if it's Mike Glennon or uh, Daniel Jones. It does not matter one bit to me. They're playing the Rams, and the Rams' defense hasn't been great, uh, but this Giants' offense has been worse than the Rams' defense. I like this Rams' defense a lot with the playmakers. I don't know. No Saquon Barkley. No Kenny Galladay. You know, injuries to Sterling Shepard, you know, Darius Slayton. 
Don't know why you want to go out there with any weapons when Aaron Donald will be there. This bad offensive line. I would definitely take the week off if I was Daniel Jones because I don't want to be tormented by Aaron Donald for 30 game minutes. Then Bears, uh, Justin Fields as well, hyperextended his left knee in a win against the Raiders uh, last week. But he says he should be good to go against the Packers uh, in a uh, quarterback matchup between Aaron Rodgers and him, Justin Fields. I think it will be great. Uh, And even though Andy Dalton's back, I like Justin Fields, his intangibles, a little more than Andy Dalton again. Another big game, battle for first place in the NFC North. Can the Packers defense do it? Can Justin Fields put some pressure on the Packers? Break that down in a future podcast. And then news with the Las Vegas Raiders, John Gruden... Being dismissed from the organization, I'm not going to get into my reaction on how I feel about his dismissal or anything like that, but I will say I expect this Raiders team to be different. You had players like Derek Carr, Josh Jacobs, all vouch uh, for him. Uh, now you're having, you know, a you know special teams coordinator. I believe one of your coordinators will be the interim coach. To fill in, but to me, this hurts because this was the best I've seen the Raiders uh, under John Gruden. You start off three and zero, tough loss to the Chargers, who are a really good team, and kind of this deflating game against the Bears, where all this is being leaked, and that's all on the mind. Now your coach is fired, and you're playing a tough Broncos defense in Denver. Uh, then you have a few winnable games uh, before you play the tough games, the Chiefs, uh, in a tough stretch, the Bengals, the Cowboys, the Browns. So you have a very tough stretch there. Uh, I don't believe there's just too much of a mess there in Las Vegas. This derails a great promising start to the season. And because of all that, I don't have the Raiders going to the playoffs again. I didn't have them going to the playoffs before the season, but they were a team to watch out for after the start of this season. However, I can no longer say that with John Gruden being gone. He's a phenomenal football coach. Uh, Won't talk about him as a person, but as a football coach on the field, great football coach, big loss for the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, Moving forward because of that, you know, I believe this 3-2 and start will be wiped out. To me, they'll finish with a losing record. I believe they'll be 8-9. and They have two losses. I believe they'll lose once to the Broncos. That's three. Maybe they might lose two to the Chiefs now uh, with John Gruden not there. Uh, that's five. The Cowboys, six. Uh, Bengals, seven. Browns, eight. Uh, Chargers, again, could be nine. So teetering on the usual Las Vegas train, which is, you know, the 500, sub-500 record for the Raiders. Now to get into my top five teams in the NFL after five weeks. This was tough 
to establish. This was tough to do because there are so many, so many good teams uh, out there. But I'll start. Number five, the Los Angeles Chargers. Why? Well, they've had a good stretch so far. Uh, they're four and one. Play decent teams. They've just beat the Browns on a uh, crazy uh, Sunday game, 47-42 shootout. They beat their divisional opponents, the Chiefs and the Raiders. Uh, lost a fluky game to the Cowboys. I mean, this team is good. Justin Herbert looks good. Clear connection to Mike Williams, oh, which I love. Uh, Austin Eckler is great, both running the football, pass catching out of the backfield. This offense is balanced. The offensive line has improved as well. They, they worked on through the draft. This defense also looks good, spearheaded uh, by Joey Bosa. Again, they got blasted last week by Cleveland. But overall, I like this defense. I like the direction of this team. Uh, the coach, the old uh, defensive coordinator for the Rams, is doing really, really well over here and kind of shifted this team from an up-and-coming team to, a, to me, a playoff uh, contender that is number one in the AFC West right now. Number four, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're great. Offensively, they're great. They scored 167 points. Uh, so far, just had a vintage Tom Brady performance in something he's never done, which is the five touchdowns and pass for over 400 yards in a game. They squeaked out a tough one against the Patriots, which you'd like to see. You'd like to see him not play their best and still win those games. And other than that, they scored over 40 points twice already this season against the Falcons and the Dolphins. Won a good game against the Cowboys opening night. Tom Brady has been great. Receivers have been great. Uh, the front seven is still fantastic. Again, it's just the secondary, which is why they're not higher. But get all those guys back. Get healthy down the stretch of the season. Tampa Bay is still the team to beat. Number three, the Los Angeles Rams. Why? Well, they are the team that beat the Buccaneers, so by default, I still have to put them up. Even if fully healthy, I don't like those matchups. A week after getting obliterated by the Cardinals at home, another tough divisional foe on short rest. The Rams pulled it out against the Seahawks 26-17. Matthew Stafford did not have a good start to this game. A look lost, a lot of overthrown balls in this game as well. A very clumsy interception, but they prevailed. Of course, Russell Wilson getting knocked out helped them. But this offense, to me, has kind of flipped with this defense where the past few years it's been this defense that's been so good, uh, has been the backbone of this team, whereas this year it looks the opposite, where the offense is the one that has been unlocked. Matthew Stafford has been given the keys to this offense that Jared Goff once had and couldn't make the big plays with it. But that is what Matthew Stafford is doing. We're seeing the big plays uh, down the field uh, to Cooper Cup, to Deshaun Jackson, to Van Jefferson, 
They are flying high right now in LA. Big expectations. Number two, the Buffalo Bills. Uh, they could be the best. To me, they would be the best team in the league if we are just measuring the past four games and not the first week where they had this weird, fluky loss to the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers where they looked discombobulated on offense after having a first-half lead and everything kind of fell apart on this team. I still have to take that into factor. But since then, their four games, they've been great. They've scored the most points in the NFL uh, so far this season. They've allowed the least amount of points, so they have the best scoring offense, highest scoring offense, and the best scoring defense. This team is playing amazing football right now to me, as good as anyone. Josh Allen is the Josh Allen now I've seen from last year, where he was you know, second in MVP voting. Emmanuel Sanders, who I applauded them getting in free agency, is saying, hey, this is going to unlock this offense even more because this running rushing attack isn't special. They got Stephon Diggs. They got Cole Beasley. But they added another veteran receiver in Emmanuel Sanders who has been great for them, who helps them out a ton, uh, has helped Josh Allen out this season. Another dimension to this offense. And then on defense, drafted heavily on defense this year, and it is paying out, uh, whereas I might have expected it next year or the year after to really pay off. It has been great this year, the ability to rotate, you know, basically two different defensive lines in there to get after the quarterback. Tredavious White, to me, having a great season, the great cornerback that he is, Micah Hyde, establishing himself as one of the best safeties in the game. This defense is legit. But number one, by default, mainly because they're undefeated, and when you're undefeated through five weeks, which we've seen only one team do, it's a tough thing to do, but only one team has done it. That is the Arizona Cardinals. That is why they are the number one team in my Top NFL uh, right now. Kyler Murray has been great as well. 1,500 yards, 10 touchdowns. Balanced running attack between him, Kyler Murray, Chase Edmonds, and James Conder. Offensive attack much more diverse now than just DeAndre Hopkins with the new addition of A.J. Green and draftee Rondell Moore. They all look great. Max Williams was looking good, but big injury to him. We'll see how they weather that. And this defense showed up last week against the 49ers. J.J. Watt, in particular, uh, was special. Even with uh, some of the secondary people hurt, Byron Murphy, this defense uh, looks good. This team looks good overall. They are the best team in the league right now, riding a five-game winning streak where they are undefeated, putting up a ton of points. Uh, this Cardinals team is the best. And to me, maybe the best they've been ever in their history through five weeks. So those are my top five teams right now in the NFL. Number five, the Los Angeles Chargers. Number four, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 
Number three, the Los Angeles Rams. Number two, the Buffalo Bills. And number one, the Arizona Cardinals. Now moving on to some NBA. Ben Simmons reported uh, he met with, uh, you know, Maury, uh, general manager, uh, Daryl Maury, Elton Brand, had a physical, uh, you know, isn't really, you know, participating, but it looks like he will be playing this season for the, or for the Philadelphia 76ers to at least start off with all this drama with him about, I'm not reporting to camp, I'm requesting a trade, don't want to do this here in Philadelphia anymore. Kind of all the shade being thrown around, Doc Rivers, him, uh, Joel Embiid. But will they be able to resolve all that where they've uh, you know held money uh, from him, which to me is a huge part why Ben Simmons came back. Can't live the lifestyle you want to live uh, if you're not getting paid on a weekly basis. So, it's this crazy return. Can it work? Can they make amends? Can Ben Simmons, Doc Rivers, Joel Embiid coexist? I know they can coexist. They were the number one team in the East last year. This team... Beat the Nets in a regular season game, uh, can both constructed the way they were. So this is a team I know they can coexist, at least in a regular season. It's in pivotal games, in playoff moments. Can they coexist then? That's when I say no. That's why, to me, Ben Simmons, if he really doesn't want to play there, you know, the last moments the NBA saw you or your worst moments. If you start off the season great, you know, where you're this defensive player, but you're a candidate, you know, where you're averaging a double-double and you're aggressive attacking the rim, then guess what? People will forget all about that. People are short-minded, short-sighted. They'll totally forget all the playoff blunders that you made, you know, months ago in June. I'll still remember that, uh, but the NBA execs will just be so in love with who you are at the moment that they'll take a chance and trade for them, and that's when they will get the most draft capital back or capital in general, the 76ers. So we'll see how that continues to evolve in Philadelphia. Then you have Kyrie Irving not playing uh, because of the vaccine mandate not uh, vaccinated, uh, he will not be playing. So far, Manette said, you know, they had no choice but to say, hey, you know, you can't be with the team right now. Uh, where does this leave Kyrie? Where does this leave Manette? To me, I love Kyrie uh, as a player. As a person, definitely little screws loose, I think. Uh, but as a player, uh, he's fantastic uh, to watch. Uh, his basketball IQ, uh, his skill level, uh, his handles, his shot, all that. He is a brilliant, fantastic basketball player. 
player. Sensational to watch. Uh, to me, for because of all that, because of this loss to the Nets itself, this hurts their chances to uh, win the NBA Finals. To me, if Kyrie Irving is not on this team, they are not the favorites uh, to win uh, the Finals or even make it out of their own conference. Why? I'll say this. Who just won the championship? The Milwaukee Bucks. They don't have the greatest big three in the world, but they have a big three. We need to admit it. It's Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, the second best player in the league, a dominant force who really can't be stopped unless you put up the Giannis wall, which very, to my surprise, very few teams uh, deploy on him. Then you have Chris Middleton, who proved to be their closer, their clutch shot maker there at the end. You have Drew Holiday, who's a defensive maestro uh, and can get key buckets at key times as well. So you have that big three to contend with. They lost Dante DiVincenzo. They got him, uh, will get him back this year after his uh, surgery last year. They traded for Grayson Allen. They still have Brooks Lopez, uh, Bobby Portis. This team is still very good, and they still have depth, so I'm not writing them off one bit. Another team people forgot about, the Miami Heat, uh, one season away from the bubble, but guess what? They still have Jimmy Butler, still have Bam Adebayo, who I think is great as well. They traded for Kyle Lowry, big piece there. Then uh, they also have Duncan Robinson. We'll see if Tyler Hero can find himself again, but they do have pieces and depth there at that team. The Sixers I mentioned, uh, who were good last year with the Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, uh, Tobias Harris. Maybe they make a few more moves, but they are not the favorites if they have no Kyrie Irving. That's just the case. Kevin Durant, sensational top three player. Uh, James Harden, to me, is another top five player. Uh, They have three at five right there. So yes, that's great, but no, Kyrie does not make you prohibitive favorites. You're all right there at a pecking order, but other teams I've seen beat you, I believe we'll do it again. And for Kyrie, this is huge because they talked about retirement with him. Nothing surprises me uh, if you were to retire or not. If you were to retire, I'd put him in the Hall of Fame. Uh, that's just my opinion to me. Uh, one of the most clutch shots, NBA champion, uh, 50, 40, 90 club of uh, field goal percentage of 50%, three-point percentage of 40%, uh, uh, and free throw percentage of 90% uh, a few seasons. So yes, Kyrie, great basketball player, was great on the Cavs before LeBron came back, even better on the Cavs when LeBron was there distributing uh, to Kyrie. Uh, Kyrie's been great everywhere he's been. Of course, he's always been a problem everywhere he's been. There's always a trade-off there uh, with Kyrie. But this hurts the Nets if he does not play with them this season. Now, moving on to the MLB. Yesterday... 
and Monday. There were some clinchings Monday. Red Sox won in dramatic fashion on the Tampa Bay Rays in Fenway Park. Took a 5-0 lead in the third inning. Uh, It was hit after hit for them. Then the fifth inning, Tampa Bay closes the gap. Sixth inning, Wander Franco hits a two-run home run. So it's 5-3. It's getting close, however, we're at the eighth inning now. You need to start doing something soon. They tie the game. It's 5-5 going into the ninth. Top of the ninth, nothing. Then we go into the bottom of the ninth. Sack fly. Boston Red Sox walk off right there. Win the game. Boston goes to the ALCS. I cannot believe it. To me, it wasn't due to this Tampa Bay offense. They scored runs against the Red Sox. They had the opening 5-0 stretch. The second game scored 6, then scored 4, then 5. Their pitching, which has been so good so far this year, especially after Tyler Glasnow went down. Uh, Their ace, the committee that they used, was brilliant all season long. And it falters against the Red Sox. And to me, it's just strange because this is a team, Tampa Bay, they just wiped the floor with the Red Sox a few weeks ago. And the Yankees wiped the floor with the Red Sox, sweeping them a few weeks ago. And now they made it to the ALCS. I just cannot comprehend that. Uh, My mind's blown that they are in the ALCS. You strike fire at the right time. With the wild card game, big win, carry that momentum over to the ALDS. Now you're in the ALCS, one series away from a World Series. Now, who will they play? Astros game delayed in Chicago. White Sox, Houston, can they do it? And nope, 10-1 Houston Astros. Bottom of the second. White Sox hit a home run. It's 1-0. It's looking good. Then the rails just come off after that. Ten unanswered runs between the third and ninth inning. And most of them were hits. They were all hits and singles, doubles, until the Altuve three-run home run blast, which top of the ninth to just cap off an already big blowout by Houston. Now it's Houston against the Red Sox. Two cheaters going against each other. The players of Houston, uh, the Correa, Altuve, Bregman cheaters against the coaching cheater over there, Alex Cora. On the Red Sox side, this is just a matchup of two cheaters. And as a Yankees fan, I think this is the worst possible matchup. Makes me want to literally throw up just thinking about watching the Red Sox and Astros play to get into the World Series. Thankfully, not both of them can get in the World Series. One of them has to lose. But what lesser evil do you want getting in? I'm going to wait to make my pick for this series just because I'm still processing this. I really am. Uh, It's disgusting that this matchup I even have to watch on the ALCS. I probably won't watch it. I'll just watch some of the highlights. Because who would want to watch four hours of cheaters going against each other? Dusty Baker can say all he wants on the Astros. And those are 
you know, some serious allegations. Well, guess what, Dusty? I'm sorry you weren't there when it happened, but the players that did it are still there. Uh, get with the times, Dusty. Get with the times. Uh, just a sickening matchup, especially from a baseball perspective, too, just thinking about cheaters making it there. So I will not make a pick yet, but I'm very hot over that. And with all that, there are reports of the Yankees keeping Aaron Boone. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you serious right now, uh, Steinbrenner? You're thinking about keeping Boone, the man that cannot beat the Red Sox, the Astros, and even in their own division, the Tampa Bay Rays. Two out of the four years he's been there, he's lost to the Red Sox in the playoffs. ALDS in the wild card. Other time, lost to another big rival, the Rays in the ALDS last year. Uh and then two years ago, lost to the Astros in the ALCS. You're just losing to all the rivals. And guess what? Another note, all the teams that have beat the Yankees have gone on to play in the World Series. Red Sox won, the Astros lost, Rays lost, but they've all gone on to play in the World Series. What does that say? That means you're not good enough. A lot of that starts with you. You have good players. You can blame all the players you want for not playing well, and sometimes they're not playing well, but sometimes that's design of the manager. Like keeping Glaber at shortstop for so long, so long, lost so many games, so many errors because of that decision by Boone to keep him there. That is the problem. You can't have that anymore. Then, after that, uh, you know, you make trades because you try to get better. Joey Gallo, uh, Anthony Rizzo, Anthony Rizzo trade, great. But the Joey Gallo one, really? Uh, and the way Boone inserts him at the lineup at the four spot after the big hitters of Judge and Stanton, and you put Gallo on right after them? That's unexcusable. Uh, that cannot happen. You cannot have Gallo at a pivotal spot like that in key games. Uh, so a lot of it is on Boone, who can't manage to save his life, who really couldn't play to save his life. Uh, if he didn't hit that home run against the Red Sox, however, in the extra innings that it was, would he even have a job broadcasting? Would he have his job as a manager? He's not. What is he? You know, you have, you know, the strategic coaches like the Bill Belichick's, the Bill Bill Parcells, where they just, you know, analyze everything, and uh, that's how you win with their strategy. Then you have the managers and the coaches that are the motivators that maybe they aren't the best at what they do, but they motivate the team uh, to be their best, and it works. Like Ted Lasso uh, does, and... Uh, what's his John Madden and others uh, who just would get in there, motivate, go in with the team. Uh, and there uh, you have Boone, who can't do either, can't do anything a manager can do. It's a shame that the Yankees are thinking of keeping him, watching constantly your three biggest rivals. Make it to the World Series. The Astros, the Rays, 
and the Red Sox. Pitiful job by the Yankees if they uh, keep him in that would for sure divide the fan base, just split fans down the middle. Terrible. Enough on that. Now moving on to the NL side. The Atlanta Braves with the upset pulled it off against the Brewers, won the series 3-1. You know, after Ronald Acuna goes down their leader MVP, Freddie Freeman steps up as their new leader. The pitching was, you know, just enough to get better, but their at-bats were just good. So that's, you know, I'm 2-1 in my prediction so far. Predicted the Rays, uh, lost that one, or I'm actually 1-2. Predicted the Rays uh, to win, lost that one. Predicted the Astros to win, won that one. And then I predicted the Brewers to win, and I lost that one. So I have one left, that's the Giants and the Dodgers, and I predicted the Dodgers. Giants could have won it last night, won the series 3-1. That was not the case. Uh, Dave Sclafini uh, had his worst game in a while. Uh, Walker Bueller on short rest was uh, brilliant in this team. You know, knew it was uh, going to be tough. They just really let the Giants have it last night. Started in the first inning. Uh, carried on over to the second. Mookie uh, with the home run. Uh, they were not going to let the Giants claw their way. Get back in right when you think. It's 4-1. Uh, top of the fifth after the Giants get their first run. Dodgers score another one. Top of the eighth. You know, get another one to get within rallying distance. Then they hit another home run. They just not did not give them the hope to come back. So, the only Game 5 of the NLDS is between the two best teams of the season. The 106-win Dodgers team going against the 107-win Giants team to get into the NLCS. Tomorrow, 6:07 start in San Francisco because they have the home uh, field advantage at Oracle Park. What a game this will be. Dodgers-Giants, Julio Urias starting for the Dodgers. Uh, their biggest winner going against Logan Webb, who had a great shutout performance the first game. So both players, you know, with the win, Logan Webb with, you know, the zero ERA, seven and two innings pitched, only five hits allowed, 10 strikeouts was great to me, better than Julio in his performance. Uh, because of a blowout yesterday, some of the key Giants relievers, such as DeWall, didn't get to play. So they're rested. But of course, you know, we won't see. To me, two of their best players, Max Muncy in this pivotal Game 5 for the Dodgers, Brandon Belt the same way uh, for the Giants. And it's just, you know, two key first basemen for both teams will be out. Uh, But I'm still picking the Giants to win this game. They were the better team all year long. They are the team I like in a series to beat the Dodgers in this best of five. Only... uh, Fitting that it goes down to Game 5 and the Giants will get this win behind the veteran depth in Logan Webb pitching that game. Now to finish with some NHL. Yesterday was the first day of the NHL. I predicted my Penguins to lose to the Lightning and was I wrong? What a coaching performance this was by Mike Sullivan. Last year, I was... 
livid that he did not win the Jack Adams Award for the best coach because he was took a injured team that never had its stars aligned uh, and won a East division. This year, starting off, no Malkin, no Gensel, no Crosby. And they win 6-2, to two, convincing fashion. Tristan Jari looked good, looked like the regular season Tristan of last year. Jeff Carter continued where he came off from the Kings. This team looked good. They skated fast, had the extra step. Tampa Bay looked a little tired, and I think that trend will continue. As I said, it will be a very long season for them. Longer than they've had to face in their back-to-back years. Uh, but Pittsburgh took all the emotion out of that building. Uh, was great Brian Boyle. A great story. Got a goal as well. But the key, Mike Sullivan coaching this team. He's a tactician. He's, you know, to me, the best coach in the league when it comes to the matchups and putting his team in a favorable matchup uh, to win games and trying to put his players uh, to perform Chris Letang, vintage Chris Letang game, two points, uh, two key goals, shutting down uh, Kucherov and Point as well when they were on the ice. Great performance uh, by the Pittsburgh team overall. After this, I feel much better when I was weary about will the playoff run continue. I think it will, but there'll be a low seed. Not going to get my hopes up because there's 81 games, but I was thrilled with this performance. I was also surprised by how good the Kraken looked in their first game, uh, trying to get their first win. Vegas jumps out to a 3-0 lead. The Kraken fight back and tie it up 3-3, only 30 seconds later, to have Chandler Stevenson net the game-winning goal in the third period. Uh, Leonard, not as sharp as Fleury is, uh, but that's what I've been saying Uh Seattle looked better than I thought they would. To me, might be better in the Pacific because I just looked at that yesterday. This is a very, very weak Pacific team. Vegas, of course, uh, is a Stanley Cup contender. But you had Calgary not make the playoffs last year. San Jose not make the playoffs last year. Vancouver not make the playoffs last year. Anaheim not make the playoffs last year. L.A., not make the playoffs last year. That's five teams in the division that did not make the playoffs. Edmonton made the playoffs, were been swept by the Jets. And then you have Seattle, who are a new team. So this is a very weak Pacific team. I look at it and say, maybe the Kraken squeak in there. I think Vegas will be the number one team. I think Edmonton will get the two just because of the firepower of Dreisaitl and McDavid. But Seattle could fare in this division if they play the way they did last night, inspiring a great performance. Other Pacific division, think Colorado will win, but you've got Chicago, who I think will be right there. Then uh, again, in the Central, Arizona did not make the playoffs last year. Uh, St. Louis did not make the playoffs. Dallas, Nashville, Chicago, the Wild did. A uh, little better conference, but still... Not as strong as it has been in years past. Then you have the Eastern. I believe a team from the East will win it. I picked the Bruins earlier to do it. Uh, That division's tougher. You had Toronto make the playoffs last year. Montreal, who made it to the finals last year. Florida made the playoffs. Uh, Boston, Tampa Bay. Now that's five teams who made the playoffs. 
and Tampa Bay's improved, and you kind of just have the bottom feeders of Buffalo and Ottawa. Metro, you had Pittsburgh make the playoffs, Washington, the Islanders, uh, the Hurricanes. Uh, you just barely had the Rangers miss out. Uh, the Blue Jackets uh, looked off all season. Philadelphia surprisingly out, but East much stronger than the Western Conference. But tonight, you know, more games on ESPN and TNT, five games on tonight. I'm going to pick two games of the first Rangers and Capitals. Ovechkin's a prime uh, game time decision. What a game this will be. Rangers, you know, upgraded the toughness on their team. Got the Ryan Reeves, one of the big enforcers. Uh, Barclay Goudreau, Tenorti. I think they're going to go after the Capitals. Tom Wilson would expect a scrum tonight between Tom Wilson and Ryan Reeves. That player rivalry there. But they wanted to get tougher and say, hey, Washington, we're not afraid of you. We have star players. You're not going to ragdoll Panarin or Zabinajad around. They got a lot tougher. However, we will see if this toughness uh, pays off, at least offensively. They were an offensive powerhouse a few years ago when they were coming up. That is what the question needs to be. They got tougher. The coach got tougher as well in Gallant. But I like the Rangers to win this game, especially if Ovechkin won't be playing. Then you have the Blackhawks and Avalanche, which to me, two best teams in the Central Division. Colorado, the favorites, a lot of teams pegging them to make it as I did to the finals. But then you have Chicago up and coming. You've got Jonathan Taze coming back. Uh, Patrick Kane, who had an MVP-like season last year. Vesna Trophy winner. Marc-Andre Fleury, who I believe could win it again because he's just on a mission to prove everything, even at 36, 37 years old. I think this will be a tightly contested game, but I think Colorado wants to score on Marc-Andre Fleury after what he did to them last year. I'm going to pick Colorado to win this game, but barely. This should be fun and exciting uh, there. That's it, folks. Hope you all have a great rest of your day. I'll talk to you all soon. Tomorrow, Buccaneers-Eagles, Thursday night. Who are you rolling with? Defending champs and seven-point favorites or Philly, Philly, Philly? Bye, everybody.